Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network and, of course, powered and brought to you by the Nashville Scene and the Nashville Post. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Michael Gallagher. I'm the sports reporter for the Post and the Scene, and you can follow me on Twitter at MGSports underscore. There you have it. Read all of his good stuff on the webs. Get to him on the Twitter sphere as well, and you can listen to him on It's All Your Fault on Mondays. And, of course, the Gold Standard right here, and we do appreciate all you guys hanging out with us. Rate, review, subscribe. So we've talked a lot, uh, Michael, about this offseason for David Poyle and that there was no real way for him to do much better than he did with, with what he's got trying to keep the team competitive. Now, it may turn out that these are the wrong moves. Ryan McDonough may suck and Philip Forsberg could break his legs and you know all this stuff could be bad decision-making and the team could suffer and it could slow down the rebuild and keep them out of the playoffs for five years. Who knows? But on the surface, we feel like when we've talked that this is one of the best jobs he could have possibly done with the current roster to give this team a chance to be better next year and go deeper into the playoffs. So you and I thought we would dive into every single offseason of David Poyles since the Stanley Cup run in 2017 and take a look at all five offseasons. 2020 was sort of an offseason. Um, 2019 <laughs> was an offseason, but 2020, we'll see. We'll talk about the off- that. The offseason happened before the playoffs, ironically. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so we'll talk about sort of how that all worked, but we're going to take a look at each thing, e- e- you know, draft, trades, signings, decisions on the coaching staff, things that he did in each offseason. And we'll decide if this really was one of the best offseasons that he's had since the Stanley Cup run that ended, of course, in the spring of 2017. So we've got a lot of stuff to discuss on the show before we do that. However, happy birthday last week to Michael Gallagher, who said he was going to go to Jasper's for his birthday with his significant other, with the spouse. The Gold Standard is brought to you by... Jasper's. And you did go or you did not go to Jasper's? Uh, so I'm let everybody down. I didn't go. The plan oh. was the plan was to go on Saturday. My, my birthday was on Friday. The plan was to go on Saturday uh, for lunch. And what happened was we had planned too many things. You know how it is with your birthday. Everyone and in, in, in your mom wants you to come visit them. They want to come see you. So we just we tried to cram too much stuff into one weekend is what happened. We ended up we threw in a, a comedy show at Zany's in there, too. So we were out until like midnight there's just a lot going on. We didn't get a chance to because it, there was just, like I said, we, we crammed too much into one weekend. But the good news is I showed my wife the menu, looked online. There's some stuff on there that she does like. So we are going back this weekend. I will even take pictures and document it. Oh. I will. I may even, I don't know. I don't want to live stream it, but I, I'll have some video <laughs> proof that it went to Jasper's so we can finally end this, this discussion of, did I go to the restaurant that sponsors the podcast that I co-host? <laughs> First of all, it's your birthday. You should decide when and where and what you get to do. Uh, it's you're not doing it for anybody else. It's your birthday, and as you get older and you have kids, if and that if that's part of the plan, uh, you just basically tell everyone to screw off eventually. And you're like, no, I'm doing this on my birthday, so leave me alone. Um, so Jasper should be a part of any birthday celebration, uh, of course. And, and what my mother-in-law would say was, um, "That's ten pounds of shit in a five-pound bag you did there, buddy, on on uh, on Saturday." And so. Yeah, we, um, you live and you learn, and I, I will be better from this experience. And next year, we will not be doing everything we did this year. We will <laughs> maybe keep it to dinner and a show, and then that's about it. <laughs> dinner and a show. There you have it. So go to Jasper's. Uh, tailgate season is here for football fans, of course. Bring the tailgate right to – like, Jasper's will bring the food and cater basically your tailgate or, or a small gathering. If it's your office party or a watch party at your house, you can – Jasper's will bring food to your location – jaspers.restaurant is the west is the website check it out they've got a fajita, bring you a fajita bar. bar they'll bring you a fajita bar 
How spectacular is that? They'll bring you a fajita bar. So go check out Jasper's, of course, over there on West End. Free parking, the next evolution of the sports bar. And, of course, Weiss Liquors. Uh, you can check them out on Uber Eats. They'll bring the booze also right to your tailgate. I assume you can Uber Eats things right to your tailgate. I suppose you could Uber Eats liquor right to your office. I don't recommend it, but you could do it. And, of course, you can Uber Eats Weiss Liquors right to your house in as little and as quickly as 20 minutes. So check them out. Uh, also, if you pop in, family-owned family and operated, both these companies, of course. We, we try to sponsor with all local companies here on 440. And uh, Weiss has been owned and operated for almost 100 years by the Weiss family here in, in Nashville. So, again, pop in the store, say 440 at the, the checkout counter, and get yourself 10% discount. That is free, tax-free booze. Uh, Weiss Liquors and Jasper's bringing you the gold standard every single week. Okay. And, of course, check out It's All Your Fault. Uh, all right. So my first question is, after doing this exercise and studying the 2017 offseason, the 2018 offseason, the 2019 offseason, whatever the hell the 2020 offseason was and whenever that was, the 2021 offseason, so six offseasons since they went to the Stanley Cup and lost to the Pittsburgh Penguins, do you, do you still believe that this one, 2022, this summer, the one we just had, is the best offseason that David Poyle has had since the Cup run? Now that you've analyzed every single one of them, how do you feel about that statement? Yes, I, after analyzing all of this, I do still believe that statement. However, I will say that they're going back. I, I didn't realize exactly going through this exercise, exactly how many times the players re-signed a lot of their, a lot of their players together. Like, so for instance, you have 2018, they re-signed Ryan Ellis and UC Saros together. Granted, that wasn't the big contract that Saros got uh, two years ago, but and then you look at 2019, they re-signed Roman Yossi, Colton Sissons, Dante Fabro. So it, David Poyle has done a good job of keeping all of his good players here, all the good players that he wants here. But yes, I mean, looking at it, I mean, just for Philip For re-signing Philip Forsberg alone, I feel like that kind of moves him ahead of any other year. Then you look at signing Nino Niederreiter, getting Jakob trying to lock in for two more years, the, the Ryan McDonough trade, which I think everyone kind of feels like was a very good trade for the Predators. And then you kind of couple that with, with the draft and, and getting rid of Nick Cousins, Matt Benning, uh, Matt Tennyson, Ben Harper, players that were of no use and just taking up roster space and or cap space. I feel like collectively with the players he re-signed, the players that he signed, the players that he traded for or traded away, and then with the players that he let walk in free agency, I think collectively this has been David, since the cup run, this has been David Poyle's best best offseason. And I will I will say not too far behind it is the 2019 offseason because he re-signed Roman Yossi, Colton Sissons, Dante Fabro. He signed Matt Duchesne. He, that's when he signed Philip Tomasino to his entry-level contract. All right, all right, all right. Don't, don't give it all away. Don't give it all away. I will, I will all say away. 2019 is a close second to this year. Okay. All right. I tend to agree with you. So we're going to go through each one of these and kind of break them all down, all the different pieces, and sort of analyze were these net negatives, positives, what things benefited the franchise long-term. And and again, a lot of the stuff from this year's offseason, we, we, we only have – what we think is going to happen about the team. We, we can't, we think re-signing Philip Forsberg was a great move and, and it probably will be for at least the first two thirds of the contract. Maybe we think going and acquiring Ryan McDonough for basically nothing is a pretty damn good move. We think signing Nito Niederreiter to a pretty cap friendly short-term deal seems like a pretty smart move. Hell drafting Joachim Kemmel seems like a pretty good move right now. All of that could change in four or five years. I think everyone understands that that has to be taken into account. So I, again, on the on paper is what we're talking about. We've got a lot more hindsight with no no pun intended, for example, in <laughs> 2019, for example. Uh, we've got a lot of hindsight in 2017 and 2018 and 2019 and 2020 
on on some of the moves that were considered sort of bad or good or good for the franchise, bad for the franchise. So I got a couple of questions first before we go. And you already pointed this out before we go year by year and break it all down. You already pointed this out with one thing, which is when you go through this exercise, you don't see a lot of players walking away that David Poyle and the Predators allow to walk away that are above the one and a half million dollar range. Like you're going to see a lot of names that, that they just don't resign in particular in 2022. There was a lot of them, but a lot of them are Brad Richardson. <laughs> a lot of them are Nick cousins. A lot of them are players in that range. And Colin, Colin Blackwell, you know, like, and again, we can have a conversation about prospects, David Ference, Jeremy Davies, Rem Pitlick last year, very famously, right. Um, putting on, putting them on waivers. Very rarely does a big name, frankly, a Nito Nita writer, who's a, four million plus valued player very rarely has one of those guys been in Nashville and then been allowed to walk away. And that player chose to walk away. So it's interesting. I mean, I don't know what you saw during this exercise, but it feels like if a player is good and he's here in Nashville, they're going to figure out a way to keep him until David Poyle wants to trade him. <laughs> yeah. That was the biggest thing I took away too. I mean, if you look at it, Arguably, the the biggest name to leave via free agency, I guess you could say, was was Craig Smith in 2020. I mean, maybe Eric yep. Halla last year, but Eric Halla was only here for one year. Craig Smith was someone who was kind of a fabric of of the team for a while. But other than that, looking, I mean, Brian Boyle, he he was nice during his his time here, but he wasn't like a priority free agent. Wayne Simmons, the same thing. So looking at it, I, that was one of the big takeaways I got too. Was if if you're if you are a good enough player the predators will keep you here. And the other thing I found, I found doing this exercise was if the predators don't want you, they will make you leave on their terms. It rarely ever is it on the players terms of free agency. And we, we saw that with a couple of the guys that were, you know, traded. If we did this with everything done during the year, this was just off season moves. If we looked at mid season stuff with some of the trades and whatnot, this would be a completely different discussion because the predators, I think it, it's, and I hate using this analogy, but I think it's the one that makes sense. The New England Patriots are very good at having players and using them until they deem them not part of their long-term future. And then they trade them seemingly before other people would. And it turns out to be the right move. I think the Predators kind of follow in that similar path of, okay, we have this player. We don't think he fits in here anymore. He may have another good year left, but let's sell high now while he still has a little bit of value or let's get rid of him now and cut our losses quicker than we would if we held on to him and kind of made our team worse because of it. Uh, you, I mean, you don't have to go all the way to New England for that. You can go right across town. I mean, John John Robinson at for the Titans knows when to trade Logan Ryan, when to trade Jarrell Casey, when to get rid of Malcolm Butler, when like John Robinson has been very good at this. Ryan L. I mean, again, just look at the trades. Uh, like J you let James Neal get snagged in expansion. You trade away PK Subban. You trade away Nick Benino. You trade away Ryan Ellison. Now, Victor Arvidsson, that's different. Victor Arvidsson's probably been one where you could say, man, they, they could have used that scoring pop <laughs> on the second line. Yeah. Uh, I think I think the only other one I can think of, and this goes back pre-cup run, obviously, is Seth Jones, where you traded him, and Seth Jones went on to be one of the better players for a number of years at that position. But even Shea Weber had a bunch of questionable years after trading him. Now, he's come back and led Montreal to a cup final. But, like, I, I agree with you. He knows when to cut bait on even guys that we know the organization and the fans love. That is exactly what the Patriots have done. That's exactly what John Robinson does for the Titans as well. Uh, the question is going to be the, the question. I think the biggest question is the spending, the spending since the cup has changed. That has been the thing because the year after the cup in 17, you sign 
You sign Arvidsson, Johansson, and Benino to $110 million. You sign Ellis to $50 million in the next offseason. The next offseason, you spend – because you signed Duchesne, Yossi, Sissons, Watson, Fabro. I mean, that that's $150 million. Yeah. Now, in 20, it was different because of the pandemic. They signed a bunch of guys that were all like – you know, a, a million and a half. It was all a bunch of Eric Hollas and they even got Mikhail Granlund for like three and three quarters that year. Um, but then even in 2021, 20, they come back and they sign a bunch of guys to, to some fairly substantial contracts, not huge ones. And then obviously this past year, they spent 80 million on two forwards. <laughs> so the spending is very different post cup than it was pre cup. Yeah. And I, and I think a large reason for that is Prince fans got a taste of the good life. They got a taste of the, of the cup final. They, they obviously the way it went down and you can sit here and talk all day about the referees and, and how that series is officiated and the Predators should have a cup right now. But I mean, ever since the cup run, David Poyle and, and granted yet to kind of stop it at 2020, the last two, three years because of the flat cap, his hands have been kind of tied. But if, if there wasn't that flat cap, you almost wonder what this team would look like if David Poyle had more money to spend and could spend as much as he wanted to. And I mean, granted, they were pretty close to the cap this year. And, and if it wasn't for the fact that Nino Niederreiter gave them a very team friendly contract, they probably would have spent more if they had to. But I, I think David Poyle is not afraid to spend money. And I, I, I don't know. I just looking at it, just what you said, re- signing was it Johansson, Watson, whoever in 2017 or whatever. It was Johansson, Arvidsson, Benino, which is 64 million for Johansson, 30 million for Arvidsson. I think it was 29 yeah. and 16 million for Benino. And Benino was a good contract and Arvidsson was a good contract. So, and Johansson, again, this is what makes this so complicated to do because Duchesne and Johansson now, this past year, when they were good, it was, it was those were fine contracts. Yeah. And, Joh- and Johansson before the contract was great. And in the playoffs has been great. Duchesne's had a couple of nice moments, but it's hard to like Yossi's contract. You, you can't argue that contract. It, it's been worth it. It's fine. Yeah. You know, Ellis is, is one that's you traded off the books and, you know, you cut bait on that one, but he, but he had a couple of good years in there. So it's, it's tricky to sort of analyze Johansson and, and Duchesne, frankly, those two in particular. So um, here, here's the question about 2017 that I need to ask you. Does we are not including in-season trades, deadline deadline moves. We're not including that in this conversation. Do we need to include the Kyle Turris trade because it happened a month into the season and it was not a deadline move and it was one of the most impactful things that's ever happened to this organization? It's a good question. I didn't put it on my list because it didn't happen before the season started. That was kind of the cutoff point for for when I did this, but. I think an argument could be made that you should include it because it costs you Sam Gerrard, who looks like a very good defenseman. It costs you Vladislav Kamenev, who at the time I think was the, the team's number two or three prospect. It costs you a, a draft pick or two. And, and it, it amazed me that trade went down because the whole point you make that trade is for Matt Duchesne. Well, you made the trade for Matt Duchesne, but you sent him to another team and you brought back Kyle Turris. And now it's costing you $2 million until 2028. So yeah, uh, yeah, you yeah. could argue you could argue that move was – it's it's a typical David Poyle trade. It looks good the moment you make it, and then it starts to look bad about a year afterwards. And then somehow, some some way down the down the line, it ends up biting him in the ass for it. So I I am okay with counting Kyle Turris as a move that was post Cup in the summertime, even though it wasn't in the summertime. I know it was November seventh, I believe, was the date. But that off season, and this is where we can start to sort of look at each year, year by year. And we'll go through each one and we'll just we'll kind of break down positive, think, negatives, net, net positive. But if you look at that that summer, 
They drafted Ellie Tolvanen and David Ferentz in the first and third round. They We talked about Johansson, Arvidsson, and Bonino. I would argue two very good contracts and then one Johansson. Um, they traded Colin Wilson away for a fourth-round pick. Neil, James Neal was exposed instead of Callie Arncroke, which was controversial at the time, but they got rid of James Neal kind of at the right time, although he went on to have a, a good year or two. Uh, Mike Fisher retired, which doesn't really count as a David Poyle decision. They <laughs> elevated Dan Muse and, and uh, Kevin McCarthy. But like, if you put Kyle Turris in that offseason, which happened literally a month into the year, because I think the Yossi contract happened after the season started as well, technically. It did, so, yeah. So if you're going to do stuff that's sort of like kind of counts as offseason, but not really... Turris is tr- the trade for Turris was too important to me to not include in the difference between the 17 and 18 teams, if that makes sense. I mean, you could argue Kyle Turris is the reason we even did this exercise. The whole point of this was to determine <laughs> whether, whether year by year breakdown, whether the Preds are closer or further away from getting to the cup final than they were in the 2016, 17 season. And, and this all started because they needed that, that complimentary center behind Ryan Johansson. They, they never had a solid number two center. And, and Kyle Turris was the, the only one available. And they said so they go out and they make the trade for him. And you thought finally, okay, with, with Johansson on the first line, Turris on the second line, surely this is going to work. And it, it worked for a little bit. That Craig Smith, Kevin Fiala, Kyle Turris line looked really good for about 35 games. And then it just fell apart. But yeah, I mean, you could argue Kyle Turris is the reason we're doing this exercise. So let's, let's go ahead and count it. Uh, here's the other one. John Hines, Peter Laviolette. Obviously it happened right in the middle of the year, but that is such a monstrosity of a move by a general manager that has only done that one other time in 30 years, basically 25 years. It's hard to count it. And I'm not sure what year it counts on <laughs> if it counts as, cause it happened in January of course of 2019. So it was mid literally midpoint of the 2019 season. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not counting it, but you can't not. So it's almost it was, like that it was January, 2020. January 20. Oh, it was January 2020. Sorry. Uh, sorry. I've got it written down in the wrong box here. I apologize. Uh, January it was a 2019 20- season, but it was in 2020. That's right. So I don't think it counts, but it's hard not to have the conversation about this. Now, let, let's start this with, I think if you package the first two off seasons, post Stanley Cup, 17 and 18, and then if you look at the 18 draft, they got nobody in the first three rounds because they traded all those picks away. They basically got nothing in the draft in 2018. They did get Tolvin and Inference in 17. They signed Ryan Ellis to a $50 million contract. Johansson to a $64 million contract. Ellis was in the summer of 18. Uh, Mike Fisher retired twice <laughs> uh, in both of those years. And the Kyle Turris trade happened kind of in the beginning. If you count those two seasons and you say since the cup run in two off seasons, what did you accomplish to make your team better? I know they got better and won the president's trophy. And yes, they won the division the following year. I know that, but it's those two off seasons, Michael, that if you put them together, you see where this franchise, you see why this franchise ended up as a wild card team getting bounced in the first round for like three straight years, because those two off seasons didn't work. They didn't work following the Stanley cup. Yeah, and I mean, I hate to pin it on Ryan Johansson because I very he, I, I like him. He's a very nice guy. He's a very great player. But it, it really all started with giving Johansson that $64 million contract. And then the next year, you give Ellis the big contract. You, you sign Saros. And that, that was the beginning of the Predators weren't going to be a cheap organization. They were going to spend money on especially their homegrown players. Johansson, they got in a trade, but he was still young enough at that point where he was still kind of considered part of, of the Predators' young core. You drafted Ryan Ellis. You drafted UC Saros. Drafted Roman Yossi, Sissons, all, all these guys. And you look at like the big money contracts, they all really started with Ryan Johansson. And that kind of 
I think when it came time for Matt Duchesne to sign with the Predators, and we could talk about whether that was a good move or not for the franchise, but when it came time for that, he was never going to take less than what they were paying Ryan Johansson because Matt Duchesne, in his mind, was a better center. So really, the, the Johansson contract was the first domino to kind of set the Predators in motion to, to where they are now. Now, here's the problem. I really like the Benino move. I thought that was a good move. Four years, 16 million. He was a good player. Very difficult quote. Not a particularly personable guy, but a very, I think a solid third line center for basically 16 million bucks total for four years. You got a couple of good years out of him. You and he had the versatility to go up to the second line if yeah. you needed to. You eventually traded him for Luke Cunning, who gave you like a good, a good month or two. Uh, but I do think that if you package the, those to me are the two worst off seasons since the cup. And I think it is unfortunate that it happened right after the cup, because I think if you had like, it's almost like he's been scrambling to catch up with those two off seasons ever since it happened. And I think those are the two, when you look at this, because 2020 is going to be a weird year that was, that's very difficult to evaluate for every GM across the league. And I think you're right about 19 and 22. I think those two are the best two off seasons. And we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, we'll get to that after, after the break. But I think, is it fair? Do you agree that 17 and 18 were the two worst off seasons since the cup run? And if you package them together, it's why this team is where they are. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, you look at it, those are probably the two seasons. I mean, 2019 with, with Yossi's extension, notwithstanding, those are the two seasons you spent the most money and arguably got the, the, the worst, the most, the most worst. I don't know if that's how you phrase it, but <laughs> the least, the least. Yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the off season. You spent the most money and you got further away from your goal of reaching the cup. So, I mean, it, it's, it's hard to, to make a yeah. case for 2017. I mean, yeah, you locked up Ellis, you locked up uh, Johansson and stuff like that, but, but like, I mean, Johansson's still here, but Ellis is gone and it didn't help you get any further than where they were in 2016. So I, I think that's a, it's a strong argument. Come on, come on, writer guy. You're supposed to be good with the words. I'm, I'm the, I'm, you're supposed to be able to, to put string complicated sentences together to describe nuanced topics and information. It's only the- Wednesday, but it's already been a week. So <laughs> it has been. Uh, all right. So that's 17 and 18. We kind of laid out what happened there. There's a lot to get to in 19, a lot to get to in 20, 21. And then of course we all know what happened this off season. So we will discuss all of that when we return right here on the gold standard. The Gold Standard is a podcast covering the Nashville Predators, and it is brought to you by Jaspers. That's right. It is brought to you by Jaspers. And should you want to take your significant other out on a birthday dinner, and should you find the time to do that, Jaspers would be a perfect place to do that, Michael. Wouldn't you Wouldn't you guess? Wouldn't you assume? I would. And yet, and yet. Decided, and yet he just still doesn't go to uh, Jaspers. I don't understand. It's not like I'm sitting here going, hey, you know what? I'm driving by Jasper's. I'm just going to ignore it. Life keeps happening. I have a lot going on. Sounds like a lot of excuses. But but this weekend, we will be going. It's funny because every time I drive by Jasper's, I always notice that there's a parking lot with a lot of spaces and there's no one out there (laughs) to make you pay for parking, which is a rarity in Nashville. Nobody out there making you pay for parking. And uh, generally, a lot of people in the bar, but always parking spots. Um, They got the grab and go market. You got all the great stuff we've told you about over the years. You said your wife has looked at the menu, though. Do you have any, can you give us any hints as to where, which direction she's going? It was because there's lots of great menu items. You could go, you could, you could sort of go like Latin and Mexican food. You could sort of go Italian and flat and, and with some flatbreads. You could sort of go American with like burgers and fries. Like which direction is she going when she looks at the menu? So she, she loves pizza. So flatbreads are right up her alley. And she also is a big seafood fan, which I am Ooh. not. So when we were listening to the podcast a couple of weeks ago and I was like, Hey, Brayden picked out a menu for us. We we're listening to it. And you got to the Creole pasta and I was like, oh, I'm out on that. She was like, that sounds great to me. So I think 
that might be a winner for her. All right. Creole pasta and pizza. That's not that crazy. That's like, you know, you're going to spend a thousand dollars on an Italian restaurant for that. Or you can go to Jasper's and get high quality food from high quality chefs and a, and a locally owned company that is going to not pay for that is not going to charge you for parking your car. I don't know what else you, you need to know. Also, go get yourself a gold standard cocktail. So if you're there, you can do you could have a fantasy draft party there. You could do watch the Titans games there. You could watch Tennessee football, SEC football there. Uh, if you've got a watch party or a tailgate party and you want it catered, Jasper's can take care of you. So jaspers.restaurant is the website. Go check that out. But if you're in there watching a game, order yourself a gold standard. Take a picture of it. Tweet it at Michael and myself, at 440 Sports, at MG Sports underscore, at Braden Gall. It's a lot of Twitter handles, I know. But just send it to us, and and uh, we'll make sure you get some love. And, and Jasper's, of course, appreciates it. We appreciate it. It's the next evolution of the sports bar, Michael. So go to Jasper's, everybody. All right, so we'll go 2019 through 2021. We'll cover each of these three. And then at the end, I think you and I might agree on which offseason was David Poyle's best offseason that sort of changed the trajectory of the franchise, as it were, um, through not all perfect decisions, but some decisions that were very, very good and, and frankly, a very good draft. So 2019, let's roll through 1920 and 21. I don't know if we need to talk too much about 2022, but 20, 2019, he drafts Philip Tomasino in the first round. Uh, Igor Afanasiev in the second round. He got Alex Campbell uh, in the third, but he also got Yusuf Parson in, in the seventh round. So a sneaky little seventh round value there, potentially. Uh, he re-signed Roman Yossi, 72 million. Re-signed Austin Watson. Colton Sissons to a seven-year contract. Matt Duchesne, of course, to a seven-year contract, 56 million. Those three were worth $148 million um, between those three guys. He trades P.K. Subban for, for Jeremy Davies and two draft picks. Which and opened a, up the cap space to go out and get Matt Duchesne. Right. And this is what's interesting to me. This was a sneaky one. Gives up a seventh rounder for Connor Ingram. That, yeah. was a, that was a sneaky good trade by him. This was also the season heading into the 19 season that they were months away from firing Peter Laviolette. Uh, you know, so this is the summer of 19. They fired Peter, Peter Laviolette January of 2020. So basically the middle of the 19 season. Um, they had let, uh, you, you mentioned it, Simmons and Boyle let them walk. This was the in the middle of the season. There was the Fiala trade, right? Granlin and Fiala was a big part of that trade. Um, Hartman, I think, was in that is was traded for Wayne Simmons. I think those are all in season moves. But that offseason, like getting rid of Subban, re-signing some big names, a really good draft class, and eventually he makes the decision to change the coaching staff. Like that sort of does mark a, a period of time where there's a shift in the franchise. Yeah, I mean that was the beginning of the culture shift. We saw it a little bit, and I think after I think what sealed Peter Lavillette's fate was the World Classic, the winner, the winner Classic. My bad. Um, I think after that, it was kind of like okay, we 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 started it with the players. Now we kind of need to bring in a new coach. But I mean, you look at the moves: re-signing Roman Yossi, locking up Colton Sissons to a seven-year deal. I, I still will fight anyone who says that he is not the best two-way forward on this team. Dante <laughs> Fabro. I mean, he's kind of been up and down, but but he's still someone who's young enough that you feel like is kind of a core player for this team. Um, Matthew Olivier at the time seemed like a good deal. David Poyle was trying to tell us that Daniel Carr was the AHL MVP, was going to come in and be the next, I don't even know who, but it, it was more like <laughs> Steve Moses where you bring him in and he was nothing but disappointment. Um, and then the draft, and you look at that, was really kind of the, the core of the team now of where it is was really set up through 2019. And I mean, you had to re-sign Yossi. There's, I mean, 
that's a lot of money, but there's no way you could, you could go through to the next season without having him under contract long-term. You could argue whether Matt Duchesne was the right signing or not. I, I think if you keep PK Subban, you're probably still a really good team. I don't know how much different wins, losses, playoff runs, where they would be with Matt Duchesne, but but you, you kind of you at least understand you needed to get rid of Subban to open up the cap space to sign Duchesne. At the time, that looked like a really good signing as well. So, I mean, that that was really kind of where the tide kind of turned for this franchise in terms of where they are now, what they're hoping to be. Well, and and the Subban thing goes right into what we were talking about with knowing when to cut bait on players, because it, you know Subban was certainly not the same player after that, and he, you know, again he got Jeremy Davies and two second round picks in that trade. So like you could have done a lot, and 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 New Jersey ate every ounce of salary, so you could have done a lot yeah. worse in that trade. And one of those second round picks was Igor Afanasyev. There you go. Um, it, well, that would have been. Yeah, I guess that's true because it happened right before the draft. That's right. Mm-hmm. So then in the fall, so then in the 2020 offseason, which technically would have been like Christmas time, <laughs> it, it would have yeah. been it would have been like October, November, December. Remember, super, super weird late of 2020 going into the 2021 season. Really, that um, offseason started in March and then ended around like January 10th. <laughs> my, my, minus like the the little bubble tournament or whatever. Yeah. Um, so really, from a free agency standpoint, it was a lot of names, but it wasn't anything big. It was cunning. Resigning Cunning, they had traded from earlier. Halla, they re-signed Granlin, Benning, Berbietsky, Brad Richardson, Nick Cousins. They trade Austin Watson. They trade Nick Benino, two sort of core pieces to the previous three years. Um, they do the, tie, the the Kyle Turris buyout. They let Craig Smith walk. So that year, combined with nineteen, uh, you know, again they drafted Askarov and Evangelista and Prokop with their first three picks. So that was pretty solid, which I think was in October actually the draft that year. Um, yeah. And and so like while it doesn't feel there's it feels like there's a lot of like we're trying to fix previous wrongs in that offseason. There it was a continued sort of like new wave with a flat salary cap, not knowing what the future was going to hold. They didn't spend any big money in that that year, but they got rid of some old pieces, brought in some new pieces, got rid of Kyle Turris. And to your point earlier, Craig Smith is really the only four million plus dollar player that has ever actually like walked away in free agency. So that was those two years were very much a transition period for sure. Yeah, and I mean, re-signing Granlin was kind of the the prize of the offseason, and and Paula Richardson, Borvietsky, Benning, they they all served their purpose, but they were never they were never brought in to be difference makers. They were never brought in with the, the same kind of expectations that that Matthew Shane was. Um, Luke kind of, I feel like that was a very disappointing move, given again hindsight's twenty twenty. But given what we know now, I, if I was David Ploy, I would have rather kept Nick Menino for those two extra years than to have traded for, for Luke Cunning. And I think something else that's interesting as well. He is, was half. He was half the price, and he was good during that the the strike shortened year or the strike shortened year. The pandemic shortened year. Cunning was solid. It was la- it was last eh, year that he was terrible. Eh, I'll, I'll agree to disagree for, for half the price. For half the price. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I just I feel like Benino. I would have rather taken two more years of Benino than two years of Cunning. Okay. Right. Um, and something else we saw too was they they locked up Luke Evangelista, Luke Evangelista, and Luke Prokop to ELCs shortly after the draft, and that's something that we hadn't traditionally seen in the pre- with the Predators. Is usually they're not afraid to let their prospects play out a year or two in juniors, overseas, whatever, before they sign them. I think 2020 was the beginning of the change where they tried to lock up a lot of their prospects really quickly. We saw Evangelista and Prokop. 2021 was Zachary Larue. Um, I think add the guy ask. Askarov under contract this year. So that's that's something that I think started to change as well is a lot of the young guys, they started to sign them and get them on board a lot quicker. So the next year, we go to 2021, which the NHL also, did. Oh, yeah, go also ahead. 2020 was the year they bought out Kyle Terrace. And I think that yes. with with 
letting Craig Smith walk. You could argue whether that was a good move or a bad move, but they they bought out Kyle Turris. They cut Steven Santini, Colin Blackwell, Watson, Mika Salmaki, Kerbinian Holzer. I think that was a year where they were they were more so focused on trimming the fat of the roster as opposed to trying to improve it because I think they thought they had a solid roster at that point. Yep. Yep. Uh, October 7th, I believe, was the day they announced uh, that they were purchasing Kyle Turris's contract for about $12 million for six years. Um, 2021, they draft Svechkov and LaRue. I don't know what else they got in that draft. Olsen, Ufko, you know. Olsen and Ufko are probably the next best two. Yeah, I guess. They re-sign Ekholm to a pretty savvy contract, four by 25. They re-signed Tolvin into a small deal. They re-signed Saros to four by 20, which is a spectacular deal now. And Granlund to a four by 20, which is a really good deal. They trade Ellis for Philip. And Tanner Janot. And Tanner Janot, that's right. They, re- they, they trade, they get Ellis's contract off the books. They bring in Philip Myers and Cody Glass. Philip Myers then eventually becomes Ryan McDonough. Uh, they trade Arvidsson for a second and third round pick. They strangely let Ren Pitlick go on waivers. Yarncroak is, of course, exposed. Cal Yarncroak is exposed in the in the expansion draft, and he leaves that year. And so really the core of the cup team is gone and completely cycled through with the exception of the big priced high ticket items. And again, a lot of this is sort of, all right, people know how the team has evolved over the last five years, but we wanted to do a deep dive into each offseason and sort of how they've defined the team. So before we get into your final decision on where you think the most critical decisions were made and and sort of where this team's trajectory changed, if it did at all, remind everybody that the gold standard is brought to you by Weiss Liquors. Go to Uber Eats, check out Weiss Liquors, search for Weiss. They'll send you booze right to your house in as quickly as 20 minutes. Uh, and if you're listening to this pod and you're frustrated by some of the moves that David Poyle has made, uh, please just Uber Eats some booze right to your house and it'll help you enjoy the rest of the podcast. Uh, and of course, if you want to pop in, Say 440 at checkout. They'll give you 10% off. That's tax-free booze uh, right there. Locally owned and operated for almost 100 years right there in East Nashville by the Titan Stadium. So there you go. Jaspers and Weiss Liquors. Go check them out. Okay. So you can see the end, right? You've got Yarncroak, Ellis, Arvidsson. They've all departed entering the 2021 season last year. Fiala, uh, throw him in there too. Well, Fiala was, they had gotten rid of him two years earlier, but uh, you, 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 like you add Watson, like the number of pieces that had departed the team and Pekka had retired that year as well uh, at the end of last year. So like you go with PK Subban, Peter Lavia from, from the the 2019 season until now it's PK Subban. It is Peter Laviolette. It is Kevin Fiala. Ryan Hartman, Craig Smith, Kyle Turris, Nick Benino, Austin Watson, Ryan Ellis, Victor Arvidsson, Pecorine, Callie Yarncrook. That's a pretty big chunk of the Stanley Cup team. <laughs> yeah. That's the whole I mean, damn thing almost. I mean, you could argue at least half of those players and Peter Laviolette, they wouldn't have gotten to that cup if it wasn't. No, no, I agree. But it does, it does sort of, it crystallizes just how much they've changed the roster. And then, of course, we get to this year where they drafted Kemmel, re-signed Forsberg, bring in Niederreiter, trade for McDonough. Uh, they lose, I guess, the biggest losses this year would have been Davies and Ference, maybe? like, And then all the names that are like a million dollars, like yeah. all, all the guys they don't bring back, the Nick Cousins of the world. and I mean, Benning and Grimaldi a little bit, but they were they just didn't have positions on this team. Yeah. They, they traded Olivier to Columbus for a fourth-round pick. I mean, getting Ryan McDonough for Philip Myers and Grant Mismash I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but that could go down as one of David Poyle's better trades of his career. It, it depends on what McDonough does. Obviously, everything is is you know on paper at this point for this offseason. Yeah. But Philip Myers had no he had no future in Nashville. 
he was he was up for 30 40 games i think and got sent down to milwaukee and then they like from what i understand he wasn't even great in milwaukee like they they kind of felt compelled to to play him but they like the milwaukee defense were almost better than he was grant mismatch was never going to make make the lineup here so i mean you basically got rid of ryan mcdonough or you basically traded for ryan mcdonough and you also got cap salary relief in return well you got rid of some cap salary put it that way yeah what uh all right so we've laid out every single one of these. There's certainly tr- directions and trajectories. And, you know, the, the draft has certainly like, again, if you go back and look, the last bunch of first round picks have actually, I mean, Tolvin and Tomasino, Askarov, Svechkov, LaRue, and Kemmel. Second round picks are Mishmash, which brought you McDonough, Evangelista. I, I mean, and Afanasiyev. Like, he's done a pretty good job drafting forwards, at least we think on paper, over the last four or five seasons. Um, a lot of big name contracts. W- what is the off season that if this team is good and this team is back to contention and back to being, Hey, we're in the third round of the playoffs or we're, we're competing for divisions here and Colorado begins to trail off because their stars are getting older or whatever, whatever it is. What, which is the off season you're pointing to and saying, that's the difference be- be- aside from this particular one, this season in 2022, what is this? What's the off season that you're pointing to and saying, that's the one that's decided the trajectory of the franchise. I mean, I feel like it's got to be 2019. I just don't really see an argument for any other year aside from this year. And we won't know what this year brings until two or three years in the future. But you re-sign Yossi, re-sign Sissons, you re-sign Fabro, you go out and you sign Matt Duchesne, you draft Tomasino and Afanasiev. I mean, Tomasino and Afanasiev could be potentially two of your of your top line, two, two members of your top line in the next two or three years. They also went out and they, what was it? Dan Lambert. They hired him as an assistant coach to, to fix the power play. And uh, I don't think he like immediately fixed it, but I think he started to get them in trending in the right direction with that as well. You trade away Subban to give you the, the money to sign Duchesne. Duchesne was afforded the first, well, not the first Phil Forsberg as well, but <laughs> he, he holds the, the franchise record for goals in a season. I mean, Yossi was, was the core of this team, like single-handedly the most important player to this team. I would even argue above UC Saros. Because you can go out and you can find another decent to good goaltender that I think could give you the same production Saros can. I don't think you're going to be able to replace Roman Yossi unless you go out and get Kale McCarr. So, but just looking at that, re-signing Yossi, Sissons, Fabro, those are three guys that are very important to this team. Duchesne is is one of the top offensive players on this team. At least we think he will be. We'll see if he can repeat what he did last year. You draft, you get two, I don't want to say cornerstones, but you get two players in Thomas Yonafanasiev who could factor into your top six i think just looking at it there's there's just no other way looking at any other any of the other years and the moves that david Poyle will make that, that any of them are as important as all the ones he did in 2019 combined yeah now in two or three years we could be saying that about 2022 because resigning forsberg is a big deal resigning trenton what didn't get a lot of attention but i feel like that was a very underrated move for him they resigned cody glass to a one-year deal we don't know what he's going to turn into but say he goes out and he puts up a 30 goal season then that looks like oh. a really good, looks like a really good move. I'm not saying he will, but if he does, <laughs> you go out and you get. Let's start with like 15 goals first. You go out and you get Niederreiter. That looks like a really good move. We don't know what the backup goaltending situation is. Kevin Lankinen could be, you know, a decent backup. The Ryan McDonough move looks really good. So 2022 has the potential to pass 2019. But I mean, locking so, up Roman Yossi, I think was was the was the what sealed it for me and signing Duchesne. Well, and I and I think get again. It, you cannot have this conversation without the conversation about LaViolette to Hines immediately, yeah. immediately following that offseason. 
just like you cannot have the conversation about 2017 without immediately talking about how a month into the season they trade for Kyle Turris and mortgage their future with some prospects, yeah. a bunch of cash for a player that really delivered them absolutely almost nothing. So in 17, you have to sort of define it as like, well, we have to do this. We just went to the cup. We have to do this. We, like all these moves, we have to do this. And it kept them relevant. They won a president's trophy the next year. And then in, in 18, it's the lost off season to me. This is how I'm going to define all these off seasons. Like 17 was, we have to do this. 18 was the lost off season. They basically signed Ellis and Saros and that's about all they accomplished. They did nothing to improve the roster, make it deeper. They lost Mike Fisher. Um, you know, there was just not a whole lot there. 2019 is the beginning of the transition. 19 is the beginning of we're going to bring back the pieces we care about and we're going to move on from the pieces that are aging out. 2020 is a pandemic. I don't even know how you analyze that, but they continue yeah. the transition. 2021 is let's keep the guys we like and let's get rid of the one, let's get rid of the aging veterans. That's a continued part of the transition. And then this one feels like there's one more offseason that feels like that needs to happen for it to feel like the transition is complete from cup contender down and then back up again. And it feels like there's one more to go. But I think this is the offseason that is like the the end of the four-year cycle that they worked on to get to this point. And, and that is involved with changing almost every starting piece from the Stanley Cup roster that essentially includes what? Ryan Johansson and Roman Yossi and Matias Ekholm? Philip Forsberg. Miss- Sorry, duh. <laughs> <laughs> How could I? That, oh, that guy. Yeah, oh, that guy. Yeah. But but like every other major piece on, on that team, and and again, Johansson missed a whole lot of this year. Like, um, you got hurt, you know, it, like almost all of that roster was changed systematically, but I think he screwed it up the first two off seasons. And I think that's pretty obvious. Yeah. And I feel like that almost kind of ties into the, the podcast we did a couple of weeks ago where we talked about what does this team look like in 2026? It almost is, you feel like this team is one true elite center and then one true, I guess, top two pairing defenseman away from what I think we feel like would be a cup contender. Maybe that's what the next offseason is. Maybe we're going to have a flat cap again next year, but maybe David Poyle, I don't know, does some cap gymnastics and opens up some space and he goes out and he goes after that true elite center or, or even if it's a forward. I, I think Ryan Johansson is a serviceable enough top center to carry this team. And I, I think the hope is maybe Cody Glass can come up to be that number two center. But I do think looking at next year, they're going to have to, they're going to, Philip Forsberg can't do it all himself. And I'm still very skeptical of whether Matt Duchesne can be another 40 goal scorer. I'm still skeptical of whether he could yeah. be a 30 goal scorer until, until he's consistently, consistently doing that. It, it's basically all the offense rests on Philip Forsberg and Roman Yossi and you, and two players cannot carry an offense. So I, I think that would be next year's free agent, whatever. I don't know who who's in the free agent class, but that would be next year's yeah. thing to look at is, is what moves do they do? Because I think they have a solid roster. Now I think they could be, maybe get to the second round of the playoffs, but the fan base isn't going to be happy with just getting to the playoffs and maybe just getting out of the first round. They're going to have to do something next year. I don't think David Poyle has a PK Subban for Shea Weber move up his sleeve, but they're going to need something kind of close to that. I think in order to get this roster where it needs to be, to be a cup contender. Interesting. Okay. I think that's true. I think, I think you're absolutely right about that. And I think when we talk about what this team is missing, I think we, it's pretty obvious what this team is potentially missing. Uh, and when we did our, you know, the, the, the one where we looked five years out, like that's the same kind of deal. Um, so I think there's a lot of good stuff in here. I would say if you wanted to do pass fail, we'll leave 2022 as incomplete, but I would argue it's fail, fail, pass, pass, pass. Does that sound fair to you? 17 and 18 are fails. 
19, 20, 21 are pass, pass, pass. And again, even 2020 is hard to evaluate because it was so bizarre. So they, they, yeah, got, out, they got rid of Kyle Turris. I don't, maybe that makes it a pass. All, <laughs> makes it, maybe that's a pass. I don't know. Yeah, I'd go 2017 and 18 fails for sure. 2019 was, I don't want to call it a home run, but as close to a home run as you could get. I think 2021 was past two, re-signing Saros, Neko, and Granlin. But I don't, I don't know. 2020, I feel like I don't want to – I hate being indecisive, but I would I would just push that because I don't really feel like they got better yeah. or worse. I mean, you kept Granlin. That was about it. So, yeah. No, that's fair. Um, again, their, their signings that year were Cunnan, Halla, Granlin, Benning, Burietsky, Richardson, and Cousins. A lot of big names. Aaron and Malone, too. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of big names there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's an interesting exercise. It just sort of, you know, we've been saying, man, one of the best off-seasons David Poyle could have possibly had. So I wanted to make a, make sure we took some time looking at each one of these off-seasons and exactly how we got to this point and, and compare it. Because, again, Forsberg, Niederreiter, McDonough, uh, you know, Niederreiter undervalue. Forsberg, probably undervalue. McDonough for largely nothing. Uh, you draft Kemmel. Like, we've talked about you know, the competitive rebuild is such an old cliche now, but like that's sort of, this is sort of as best he could have done. Is it good enough to win a cup? Probably not. But is it good enough to get them one step closer or two steps closer? I think the answer is yes, but you got to go back to 2019 and really pinpoint that off season as the year that began the transition. And I just think that was part of the exercise was to figure out when did this team start trending in the wrong direction and when did they start trending in the right direction? And a lot of it has to do with, um, uh, you know, that small change that they made in January of 2020. <laughs> yeah. And if you, if you look at it, if last year was, was the competitive rebuild, that was the first year of it. They made the playoffs. That's, that's a pretty dang good season yeah. for the first year of a rebuild this year. They will probably make the playoffs again. They may get out of the first round. And I think, I think that's, if you're doing a rebuild, you make quote unquote competitive rebuild, you make the playoffs your first year, your second year, you're competing for a spot in the second round. I think you should, fans should just quit complaining and just take that. Like, yeah. I'm not a David Poyle stand or anything like that, but I think he's doing the best he can with what he has. Yep, I, I completely agree. Uh, all right, please, 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 you, Michael Gallagher, and everyone else listening, go to Jaspers. You will not be disappointed. Go to the wonderful establishment, the next evolution of the sports bar. There's a fancy game room. You can have some cocktails. Go play in your game room. Go play air hockey. Go play skee ball. Go play darts and shuffleboard. Watch a game. Go have a nice meal. Go back to the game room and have some fun afterward. And you want to grab some cheesecake on the way home, you swing by the grab-and-go market and you take some cheesecake home and you eat it when no one's looking, okay? It's totally great. Go to Jasper's, and you won't pay for parking the entire time. Make sure you swing by Weiss Liquors so when you go home from Jasper's, you get on that Uber Eats app and you send the booze right to your house so that you can do the drinking and they'll do the driving. Uh, make sure you swing by ja Make sure you swing by Jasper's and Weiss Liquors. 10% off when you say 440 at the, at the checkout register there. That's tax-free booze. Uh, and uh, there you have it, Jaspers and Weiss Liquors. Michael Gallagher, where can the good people find you? Find me on the Nashville Post, on the Nashville Scene, and on Twitter at MGSports underscore. There you have it. My name is Braden Gall. Thanks for listening. This has been the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network.